December 27th edition of PFTPM. Merry Christmas, happy holidays to everyone out there. Early Happy New Year as we work through the 17th week of the regular season. Get started on Thursday night with the Browns taking on the Jets. Plenty happening today. And this is something we kind of saw coming. We planted the flag a little bit, didn't bury it all the way down into the soil. But whenever the Broncos have struggled this year, the question of the $37 million in 2025 base salary that becomes fully guaranteed for Russell Wilson, would that be picked up? Would that contract be terminated? What will happen between the team and the player by the time March rolls around? At times it went away. At times it came back. And most recently it came back after Russell Wilson and Sean Payton were seen jawing at each other on the sideline. Now, that misstates what happened. Russell just stood there. Peyton was the one doing the jawing. And it had kind of a quality to it that felt like Peyton was saying something along the lines of, I've told you this 20 bleepity bleep times this year. And it was an exasperation. That was the overall demeanor of Peyton, that I just can't get this guy to do what I need him to do. He won't do the things I'm telling him to do. The offense isn't working. And you fast forward to Tuesday. There were some comments from Sean Payton about the offense that were very ominous as it relates to the guy who's responsible for the offense. And Payton said, we've got some things to clean up. Well, what are you going to clean up in two weeks? The season's almost over. So, again, we had pointed out the possibility of if the Broncos lose this week and become eliminated from playoff consideration, next week Jared Stidham would play. They put Russell Wilson in bubble wrap because here's the key. This is why... He was benched. And I've buried the lead here. But if you're watching this, you know by now Russell Wilson's been benched. He's benched because of that $37 If he gets an injury that keeps him from passing a physical by the time the $37 in injury guarantee becomes full guarantee, it's already a full guarantee. You don't have an opportunity to rip up the contract and avoid the $37 in full guarantees to kick in for 2025. And benching him now is aimed primarily, if not exclusively, at preserving their ability to just walk away, tear it up, don't get anything in return. And I'll talk about the options for dealing with the contract coming up. This is about making sure they'll have the ability to say, it's over, it's done, see you later. And as I pointed out at PFT, there's kind of no coming back from this. How do they come back from this? How does Russell Wilson gladly and happily keep playing for the Broncos when he was benched while they were still alive for the postseason. This isn't, we're eliminated, it's over, it's done, we're just playing out the string. They're still alive, and they're taking him out, and they're putting Jared Stidham in. And the way that it was reported by Adam Schefter, they're looking for a spark offensively. No, they're looking to preserve the $37 million, the cash and cap that they will incur if he's on the roster as of the fifth day of the 2024 league year. And if he's injured, and if he can't pass a physical, they can't do anything about it. That's what this is about. There is no coming back from that. They're benching him while they're still alive. They're entrusting their playoff hopes to Jarrett Stidham. For the second straight year, Jarrett Stidham gets thrust into late season starter. Last year with the Raiders, they were done. But it was the same reasoning. $40 million fully guaranteed for Derek Carr that would have vested in February third or fourth day after the Super Bowl. And remember, they were going to try to work out a trade, and that was never going to happen. It was never going to work that way. They ultimately have to cut him, and they did. 
The Broncos could still trade Russell Wilson, but it's going to take a massive restructuring of the contract to make it happen. Why does Russell Wilson go along with that? Just force his release, and then he goes wherever he wants to go. He doesn't get guided to some other team because he's got the ultimate leverage. They've got to move on from him by the fifth day of the 2024 league year, or that $37 million becomes fully guaranteed, period. So all he has to do is sit back and do nothing. It's the one thing we can all do, nothing at all, and he'll get his freedom. And he'll get his freedom early, not before free agency starts, but early enough that everyone will know he's going to be available. And maybe they'll do him a favor and cut him before then. Regardless, how can it continue? And we don't know any of the specifics about what happened behind the scenes, but it's possible that the two sides tried to work out some sort of a revised deal. Maybe the Broncos raised the possibility of this is what we're going to offer you as an alternative to the current contract. And if that's not good enough, we're just going to go our separate ways. Oh, and we're going to bench you to end the season. And presumably, if that offer was made, it was rejected. Otherwise, Russell Wilson wouldn't be benched with two weeks left. There would have been some sort of revision to the contract. It's a massive blow to the ego of a guy who was on track for the Hall of Fame, had a very bad year last year, was better this year, but apparently not good enough. In the eyes of the new coach of the team, the guy who has all the power, Sean Payton, he decided after 15 games, enough. Not for me. Not my tempo. Not my cup of tea. And I go back to 2022. And I wonder whether or not George Payton's ultimately going to be fired. This was before Payton got there. They trade for Russell Wilson in March. After Aaron Rodgers decides to stay in Green Bay one more year. Because remember, they hired Nathaniel Hackett with the idea that they're going to get Aaron Rodgers. Rodgers stays in Green Bay the same day that that news was announced. Boom. Deal's in place to trade for Russell Wilson. So he comes to town in March with two years left on his contract. Now, every other contract he had before that, he gets an extension with one year left. Labor Day weekend rolls around. New contract for Russell Wilson. Massive deal. Market value or close to it. Big guarantees. Rolling guarantees where the guarantee for 2024 vested before 2023 even comes along. The guarantee for 2025 vested in 2024. It ties the two sides together. And the Broncos were more than happy to do it without him ever even taking a snap for them. They were more than happy to do it. If I'm Sean Payton, Exhibit A in the case that I make to Greg Pender, the CEO of the team, as to why I need my own general manager, Exhibit A. This guy recommended that you give Russell Wilson this contract when we should have just seen what he could do for a year before we commit to anything. Unless he was banging the drum hard and his agent, Mark Rogers, who benefits from having only one NFL client so he can drive the hardest possible bargain without worrying about any potential ramifications with his other relationships for his other clients, he can go all in on Russ. If Mark Rogers was pounding on doors saying, I want a new contract, I want a new contract, I want a new contract, that's one thing. He wasn't. Why the hell did you do it? Didn't need to do it. Maybe they thought it's going to get more expensive. It would have been less expensive based upon what we saw in 2022. So it's over now. It's just a matter of time. I don't want to say 100% it's done because you never know when crazier things have happened. And maybe at the end of the day, Mark Rogers sees what else is out there and ultimately decides to work out some sort of a revised deal and stay in Denver because Russell doesn't want to move and Russell's willing to 
forgive and forget, and he will have taken this huge hit to his overall perception and reputation. That's fine. I stay in Denver. I'm going to make as much here as I would make somewhere else. Sometimes guys will take less somewhere else just because they don't want to be perceived as capitulating to the team that squeezed them to take less than they were supposed to get. We've seen players just retire because they weren't able to find anywhere else what they were supposed to get from the team that they had a contract with. So we'll see how that plays out. But first thing to keep in mind, the big picture, trade versus release. Cap charge. If he's traded before June 1, the Broncos take a $72 million cap hit for 2024 if he's traded. And I don't think he'll be traded. I don't think he'll be traded. If he's traded, it'll be before the $37 million becomes fully guaranteed, and it'll be part of a new contract that is revised dramatically. And again, why does Russell Wilson need to do that? Just say, keep me or cut me. I'm not going to agree to any revision of my contract. I'm not going to do anything. You keep me or you cut me, and then you go pick your next team. And you're always going to get more as a free agent because a team, there's a balance there. And every team does it differently. But when you have to give up draft pick compensation, that makes you less willing to give up salary. And the less you have to give up to get a guy, maybe the more you'll pay him. I think, generally speaking, a guy can always do better as a free agent than what he can do with the contract he negotiates as part of a trade. Because as a free agent, the team's getting him free and clear. So I think he'll be released. And I think the Broncos will end up releasing him with a post-June 1 designation, unless they want to take the full cap hit in 2024. And that full cap hit would be $89 million in 2024. Now, if they cut him with a post-June 1 designation, it becomes $35.4 million in 24 and $53.6 million in 25. I think that's the more likely course for the Broncos. Gives them more flexibility in 24. If they don't spend all that cap money, they can roll it over to the next year and offset the 53-6. But that's what they're looking at. Now, they'd be entitled to some offsets, too, when he goes elsewhere and some of that guaranteed money gets earned from a new team. I think the offsets would kick in the next year. But I think this makes the most sense. Cut him with a post-June 1 designation. He goes somewhere else, and you get a dollar-for-dollar credit for whatever he makes from his next team. So... What's next for Russell Wilson? I ran this by the PFT writers. Here's the list we came up with. Just the short, quick, rough list. And these may or may not be practical from a cap standpoint. But the Raiders, that would make a ton of sense. Stick it to the Broncos. Grab their quarterback. And they clearly could use an upgrade at the position. The Steelers. Russell Wilson played high school football in Richmond. Mike Tomlin, the coach of the Steelers, has an affinity for players from that area. He's an upgrade over Kenny Pickett. I mean, say what you will about Russell Wilson. He's still a pretty damn good quarterback. He's just not as good as Sean Payton believes that he needs right now. He would be an upgrade over Kenny Pickett. That's a fascinating potential wrinkle. Washington, the commanders. Sam Howell benched. Now, what is the next regime going to think? Depends on who the coach is and whether or not that coach would be inclined to believe that he can work with Russell Wilson to get the most out of him. The Falcons need an upgrade at quarterback. The Vikings may need a quarterback just because Kirk Cousins can go anywhere he wants. And one of my first thoughts was, what about Cousins to Denver? The problem is it's going to be very hard to fit him under the salary cap because of this Russell Wilson cap charge. Again, it's going to be 35-4 and 53-6 over 2024 and 2025. How do you take a market value quarterback contract and make it work? 
I think the more likely reality is Jared Stidham gets a chance next year to be the guy. And then maybe Sean Payton drafts somebody and develops somebody. But he's got to have a plan. I also thought maybe Sean Payton and Tom Brady finally get together. Brady comes out of retirement after one year and coaches and, and coaches plays quarterback for the Denver Broncos with Sean Payton as the coach. Because remember, 2022, that was the plan. Payton and Brady in Miami. Maybe Payton and Brady in Denver. Maybe that happens. I'm kind of joking when I say it, but who the hell knows? You never know what's going to happen. That's why we're always trying to get ahead of the curve. This gets back to the whole fan fiction conversation that I had with Hank a few weeks ago on Pardon My Take. We, we've been throwing out the idea of Russell Wilson being benched and being out after this year because we're trying to read the tea leaves and understand which way the ball is moving because crazy shit happens all the time. And this is the latest example. And if you're not really paying attention, you're surprised by this. If you're locked in and you're reading PFT, you're not surprised by this because we've been talking about it really ever since Sean Payton became the head coach. Here are the stakes. After this year, they got a decision to make. Most people assume, oh, no, they have to keep him around next year. No, they don't. Not with $37 million that becomes fully guaranteed in March and has him, as a practical matter, their quarterback through 2025. So I think it's over. I think he's gone after this year. I think he'll be released with a post-June 1 designation. And I think he'll land with one of the teams we discussed. Raiders, Steelers, Washington, Falcons, Minnesota. Those seem to be the candidates for now. And you don't know what other teams are thinking. Maybe there's a team out there that secretly covets Russell Wilson and will pounce on the opportunity to get him. I don't know. Patriots as well. Didn't mention the Patriots. Although, I don't know how well he takes hard coaching. Very hard coaching from Sean Payton. Now, he didn't respond at all when Payton was giving it to him during that Lions game. Maybe that's what Bill Belichick wants. Somebody who'll just take it. But he'd be an upgrade for the Patriots as well. I'm glad I remembered to mention them. One team that doesn't need Russell Wilson is the Baltimore Ravens. Lamar Jackson about to win MVP award for the second time, assuming the Ravens beat the Dolphins on Sunday. If the Dolphins beat the Ravens, then all of a sudden it becomes the Tua-Tyreek conversation again. Jackson and the Ravens beating the 49ers has knocked this polite gentleman society conversation where Brock Purdy stumps for Christian McCaffrey and McCaffrey stumps for Purdy and Trent Williams and there's multiple potential candidates for MVP. That's gone now. That's over. The only one that has a chance out of that group now is Christian McCaffrey. And if the Ravens are the one seed in the AFC, given what they did to the 49ers on Monday night, Lamar Jackson is the MVP. And I'm careful about how I phrase it because I've got one of the votes. They don't want us to say what our vote is going to be. But I can say if the vote was right now, I would vote for Lamar Jackson. I don't know how I'm going to vote two weeks from now. There's still more, more hay in the barn or hay to be put in the barn or chapters in the book or whatever metaphor you want to use or not. But as of right now, it's Lamar. If they beat the Dolphins on Sunday and nail down the one seed, I'll still be inclined Lamar. After week 18, we'll see. If the Dolphins win, then that changes things a little bit. But the Ravens on Monday night did what I didn't think they could do. And look, I, I knew when I said what I said last week that if the Ravens win that game, I'm going to go through a few things on social media and elsewhere. And I do regret phrasing it the way I did because it was, even though I, and I acknowledge, I know it's disrespectful to the Ravens, but I'm not trying to be disrespectful to the Ravens. My point was the 49ers would kick the crap out of everybody. 
Anybody, whoever was coming to San Francisco on Monday night was in for the same kind of butt kicking that has been distributed by the 49ers every week that everyone was healthy. Only when they fell into that three-week period, thanks to the Browns game, where you had Trent Williams injured and Debo Samuel injured and Christian McCaffrey banged up. They lost that game on a missed field goal. Then the Vikings beat them on Monday night, and then they lost by 14 at home to the Bengals. After that was their bye week, and they won by at least double digits every game after that. So that's the buzzsaw I thought the Ravens or anyone was walking into. Whoever the team would have been, I would have said what I said last week. And the Ravens, to their credit, they found a way to go to San Francisco and win that game. And the good news for all of us who love the NFL and who want a competitive postseason, it now no longer feels like it's just the 49ers to win and lose. And it's them and it's no one else. Now there's a greater sense of uncertainty. Now maybe there's been some weakness exposed in the 49ers that the Eagles or the Cowboys or the Lions or the Rams, the Rams are the one team to watch out for in the NFC. They got nothing to lose. House money, weren't supposed to be here. Dangerous team, great players, great vibe right now. I'm the 49ers. I, I said this earlier today on PFT Live. 49ers have the one seed locked up going into week 18, and the Rams haven't clinched a playoff spot, and there's any way to knock them out. The 49ers need to go all out and get the Rams out. You don't want the Rams showing up in your building. They're not intimidated by you. They play you twice a year. They know what you do. They know what you want to do. They don't freak out at the crowd or any of the, the things that go along with trying to sneak into the home of a big, bad team like the 49ers and, and taking care of business. So... They should definitely want the Rams out. But other than that, I think the 49ers could take care of the rest of the conference. But Monday night's game at least gives a little glimmer of hope for the Cowboys who lost to the 49ers 42 to 10 and the Eagles who lost to the 49ers 42 to 19 and the Lions who probably would lose to the 49ers. But I've learned not to be so extreme in my prognostication. And that leads to another point I made yesterday. And this, this, look, I, we make picks because we have to. Anytime somebody says, oh, man, they're paying you to do that. You suck. Well, they don't pay me to make picks. We just kind of do it as part of the job. I'm here to cover the NFL. Break some news, distill some news, analyze news, try to get you ahead of the curve on moves like the Russell Wilson imminent divorce from the Broncos. The picks are just part of it. It's like when in Rome. Before the season, when in Rome. You got to Make a prediction of the playoff tree. Everybody does it. Time to play games. Got to make your picks. It's just part of it. I've said, and this was before any of this Raven stuff happened, I've said I'd rather just watch the games. I don't need the extra dopamine rush from being right to enjoy the games. I just like enjoying the games for what they are. It's one of the reasons I've never been all in with fantasy football because that screws up your rooting interests and just your interest in the game because you're worried about this player on this team and that player on that team. What about this player on this team? I just like the games for the sake of the games. I don't need any extra enhancement to enjoy the games. Whatever game's on TV, I enjoy. Whoever makes it to the playoff, I enjoy watching it. I enjoy the stakes, the drama, the competition that leads to a Super Bowl. I don't need any of that other stuff. Now, I'm not saying I'm going to stop making picks. I'd prefer not to. But when in Rome. So we keep doing it. And the competition that Chris and I have is kind of fun. But it does take away from enjoying the games. Like I was way too focused on the commanders and the Jets on Sunday because I had the commanders and he had the Jets. Now, 
it made a game that I otherwise wouldn't have cared about interesting, more interesting to me or interesting at all. So that's just kind of how the way it goes. And the one thing I've learned is, you know, look, we, and here's the balance you're trying to strike. We're trying to create compelling, entertaining content. So sometimes do we get a little loose with the language? Are we a little strong? Maybe a little profanity? Yes. The goal is to make the process enjoyable, to try to add to your overall enhancement of following the NFL. And I understand sometimes I'm going to write a check that I'm going to have to cash on the back end. And, and if it happens, I will. But will I be a little more careful, at least for the rest of the season? Absolutely. Will I be picking the Ravens in every game that they play the rest of the year? You betcha. But I just have a general dislike for this idea that we have to pick every game, pick every game, pick every game, pick every game. Let's just enjoy the games. And the other thing, too, and I don't know where I stand on this. I mentioned this yesterday. I understand that legalized gambling is a big part of the NFL experience now. It used to be you had to have a bookie because you were doing something that was illegal except for in the state of Nevada. And now it's so accessible. It's everywhere you go. There's ads on PFT Live. There's ads on NFL Network. There's ads during games. There's ads in pregame. You pick up your phone and you scroll through social media. There's ads there. It's so easy. It's so accessible. I really hope that we find the right balance because you may draw in some people who end up developing a gambling addiction when they otherwise would have never even been inclined to go anywhere and begin the process of betting. But when it's in your face all the time, it's right there. All you have to do is download the app and punch the button and off you go. And this is something Peter King's been talking about for a few years, and I give him credit for it. What kind of problems will this create? And, and look, I understand, hey, the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness includes an inalienable right to screw up your life if you choose to do so. Whether it's by smoking too many cigarettes, drinking too much booze, gambling all of your money away. You know, they call gambling when it was illegal a victimless crime. Well, the only victims are like the, the people who depend financially on the person who gets hooked on it and blows all the money that otherwise would provide, you know, a roof over their heads. So that's another thing I just kind of kind of monitor and I'm kind of uneasy about all of it because, and you'll see there's no gambling ads on profootballtalk.com or on our Twitter page. Now we've got some reads that we do on PFT Live. That's an NBC thing. That's not a PFT thing. I've yet to do one of these deals where you get paid for however many people you get to sign up because I just, I mean, there's just, I want to give it more time and I want to think about it some more about being the one who lures to gambling, someone who has no business putting that money down on something that they think is a winner, something they think is a sure thing. Because the reality is, you know, this isn't like stocks with stocks. You can figure out a way to make some money with gambling, the odds, the process, I don't want to say it's rigged so the house wins, but it's hard to win. It's very hard to win. Every game that you see at a casino, it's rigged so the house wins over time. And with the way they set the odds, it's hard to win consistently. So anyway, I didn't mean to get that far down the rabbit hole, but that's one of the reasons why let's just enjoy the games. I just want to enjoy the games. 
And every game we watch, we have an idea of what we think is going to happen. And sometimes we're surprised. And I was pleasantly surprised by what the Ravens did because it does make things more interesting for the remainder of the regular season and more importantly for the postseason to come. Because now the 49ers don't seem quite as invincible. Oh, and by the way, the Ravens are looking pretty damn good with Lamar Jackson at quarterback and on his way to his second career MVP. On that point, there was some social media chatter during the game on Monday night about the fact that Lamar was available to anyone who would have wanted him back during the offseason, and no one was interested. Technically, he wasn't an unrestricted free agent. He was a free agent limited by the franchise tag, but any team could have negotiated with him and could have signed him to an offer sheet, and the Ravens would have had the match, would have had the right to match, and if they didn't match, they would have gotten two first-round picks. Now, let's start there. For a talent like Lamar Jackson, two first-round picks is nothing. The Browns gave up three first-round picks and three mid-round picks for Deshaun Watson, who hadn't played football in an entire year, and they knew he was going to miss time in 2022 because of the off-field issues that had contributed to the derailment of his career. Think about all the baggage Deshaun Watson had. And yet the Broncos still, Broncos-Browns, still gave up three first-round picks, three mid-round picks, and $46 million a year on a five-year fully guaranteed contract. Just look at that. That's exhibit A. Exhibit B, look at everything the Panthers gave up to get Bryce Young. Completely unproven. Now, they didn't have to pay him the same amount of money that the Browns had to pay Deshaun Watson. But the idea of two first-round picks from the Ravens, who are typically drafting late in the process, two first-round picks. Wait, they wouldn't come from the Ravens. Never mind. They'd come from some other team. The better the team, the lower the pick. If you're a team that is already a contender and you go all in for Lamar Jackson those two first-round picks are likely going to be lower. We would have known what the first one is. It's the second one that would have been dependent on what happened this year. Regardless, regardless. Eh, I, I pulled it. I pulled the, I, I avoided the, the, the boat capsizing there almost. Regardless, two first-round picks. Small price to pay for a guy who has the talent Lamar Jackson has. And I know there were questions about injuries. Is he going to get hurt in December? And I know there was a question about whether or not you want to pay him what he wanted. Well, again, Deshaun Watson... After a year off of football, 20-plus pending civil lawsuits alleging improprieties during massage therapy sessions, everything they had to give up, they did it. They happily did it. The fact that no one seriously pursued Lamar Jackson is weird. Even if what you're doing is forcing the Ravens to pay him more than they want to pay, why not do it? They're going to match it. Fine, let them match it. We'll, we'll offer him a five-year... $50 million a year, fully guaranteed contract. Let him match it. Five years, 60, let him match it. Be prepared and happy to accept Lamar Jackson under the terms that you've offered and also then be happy if the Ravens have to pay him even more. But see, this is where it becomes part of what I think is collusion in the NFL. And there's, there's plenty of collusion that happens that isn't really collusion. It's permissible. All of the rules that are created under the collective bargaining agreement for the draft, for free agency, because there's a collective bargaining agreement that covers 32 different companies that come together, multi-employer bargaining unit is what it's technically known as. The fact that they all come together and create a CBA, it allows them to impose these terms like minimum salaries, like salary cap, like franchise tag rules, restricted free agency, the draft process, all of that stuff. If you took away the CBA, all of that stuff is illegal. 
All of that stuff is an antitrust violation. That's why the first move that the union makes if they're locked out by the league when the contract expires is to shut down the union because then any collective rules that are imposed upon them become the foundation for an antitrust case. So anything that isn't in the CBA that the owners collectively decide to do or not do, that becomes the basis for a collusion case. And a collusion grievance was filed in 2022 over this idea of teams resisting paying players, veteran players, fully guaranteed contracts. The blowback to the Deshaun Watson deal, and you had multiple owners, Steve Bashotti of the Ravens, coincidentally, Arthur Blank of the Falcons, both expressing, and maybe more, both expressing frustration, discontent with the impact of paying Deshaun Watson five years, $46 million per year, fully guaranteed. So that prompted this collusion case. And I started poking around about it yesterday a little bit. It's still pending. And there have been depositions taken. I mean, this isn't just dying on the vine. This is something they are pushing. And the lawyers on behalf of the union will get to the bottom of whether and to what extent there are any communications among the teams, why this didn't happen. Why did no team pursue Lamar Jackson? And in a case like this, it's very hard to get a smoking gun. This is a case that is proven by circumstantial evidence. The fact that Steve Bashotti complained publicly about the Deshaun Watson contract becomes circumstantial evidence of the mindset among the owners. They don't want to surrender control to the players, even if it means not going out and getting a guy that can help you win. Because the bigger game here is to keep control of the workforce. And don't let this, this dynamic of guaranteed contracts spiral out of control. We've seen the union on multiple occasions since Deshaun Watson deal encourage agents to push and push and push for guaranteed contracts across the board. Well, if Deshaun Watson becomes a trend and not an aberration, that builds momentum for more fully guaranteed five-year contracts. So the owners, I believe, trying to avoid that, the union pushing back, a grievance with Lamar Jackson's situation at the heart of it was filed a few months before he became free subject to the franchise tag and everything that did or didn't happen during those few weeks when he was available to be signed by anyone to an offer sheet and no one did it. It's all going to be relevant. Just, folks, just, I mean, seriously, look at how valuable the quarterback position is. How in the hell did no one, did no one bring him in for a visit, free agency visit? Let's get to know him. Let's see what kind of a deal we can work out. Let's see if we can structure something the Ravens won't match. Let's see what we can do. There was no interest. Look at all the quarterbacks this year who have gone down due to injury. And I know that was one of the concerns about Lamar, but it's a precious commodity in the NFL to have a quarterback who is a proven winner, a guy who has shown he can be successful. The idea that no one, no one, not just two or three teams, no one rushed to the forefront to try to lure Lamar to their team. It's peculiar. And this grievance is still pending and we'll see what ultimately happens. But my spider sense, pasta and meatballs, but whatever you want to apply to my overall intuition based upon the years I've been covering the NFL, I think it's collusion. Don't need to convince me. Don't need much more evidence than what I see, what I hear, and what I've experienced over the years covering the NFL to think that this wasn't 31 teams coincidentally deciding that they weren't interested in Lamar Jackson for whatever reason they would try to put out there. 
this is a broader pushback to the Deshaun Watson contract and an effort to keep fully guaranteed contracts from becoming a thing in the NFL, from becoming something that becomes the norm. The owners don't want that. They clearly don't want it. If they didn't care, there already would be guaranteed contracts. All right, one last point before I answer some questions. The, the Chiefs this year are fun to watch because they look the same, same key players, same uniforms, same everything, same team that won the Super Bowl last year, but they're just lost this year. And they're trying so hard to get that magic back. And I think Monday, the frustrations we saw during the loss of the Raiders, so much about the inability for them to just be the team they've always been. They do the fancy play in the shadow of their own end zone and what happens? Defensive touchdown. Mahomes, pick six right after that. The frustration comes from the fact that they know what they've done, they believe they should still be able to do it, and it's just not working. And they don't know how to fix it. And I think on Monday, they're trying to will their way to fix it, and it just blew up in their faces. They still have a chance of not making the playoffs. If they lose their last two games, they've got the Bengals at home and then a trip to the Chargers, and the Raiders win their last two. The Raiders are the champions of the AFC West, which is amazing to think that that even can possibly happen with two weeks left in the season. The Raiders could knock the Chiefs out of the playoffs altogether. I mentioned yesterday the possibility of Eric Bieniemy going back as offensive coordinator. Look, he's going to try to be a head coach after this year. I don't know that he'd be inclined to go back as a consultant if the commanders blow out the entire coaching staff and he's even available to go work there on a temporary basis like Vic Fangio did last year for the Eagles. But if I was the Chiefs, I'd sure want to bring him back. Based upon some things Patrick Mahomes has said, it sounds like he's the missing ingredient for that team. And you just wonder, is there anything they can do at this point to wake up and get back to being the team that we have come to expect greatness from? Mahomes has two Super Bowl wins. He wants to get to seven to match Tom Brady. And this year, and who knows, anything can happen once you get to single elimination football. And the Chiefs know how to win those games. First, they got to get there. Once they get there, what can they do? What will they do? It's going to make the playoffs even more fun because we're going to find out how the Chiefs play on the road, how the Chiefs handle the adversity they've dealt with, and whether they can find a way to kind of color within the lines. Do what you are able to do. Don't try to do the things you can't do anymore. Do what you're able to do and see how far that carries you. All right, question time. PFD Pamposse, why can't the Cowboys defense get a holding call? Only 16 total holding calls this season, especially... Michael Parsons, who hasn't gotten a holding call in 38 quarters since October, he's often got arms wrapped around his neck or his waist. This is one of the things that the officials are doing now. And this is what Miles Garrett got fined for pointing out. They look the other way on holding. They look the other way on the left tackle and the right tackle leaving early. This is all about helping offenses. They believe that they need to help offenses gain yards and score points. Holding does not get called every time holding happens. Every game, it seems like, you'll see a player or two where someone is being held and there's no flag. And part of it's just incompetence, but I think part of it is they just kind of look the other way on. The problem is it creates inconsistency. I think back to that Bengals-Jaguars game where the Jaguars had the 43-yard pass play wiped out that would have set them up on the doorstep of the end zone for a touchdown to win the game against the Bengals, and all of a sudden the holding penalty comes out and we see what the holding was, and it's like, you know, we see that all the time not called. That's the problem. So it's about helping defenses. No, excuse me. Helping offenses fend off great defenses. 
Sims made this point last year. The defensive linemen are so good, the NFL needs to do something to balance it out. Otherwise, the game's going to be 10 to 7, and nobody wants that. Next question. PFT Pam Posse, why do dogs like our wives slash females better, even if we slash men do most of the feeding, playing with them, letting them out, et cetera? Even though Dirk, our dog, comes to me for most of the things he needs and wants, he wants to chill with someone on the couch. It's always my wife. Well, I mean, the, there's an alpha in every pack. And my wife was the one member of the household that was a little bit leery about getting a dog. She She was on the fence about it. My son was pushing it. I was pushing it. We bring the dog home and the dog locked onto her immediately. Now, she takes care of the dog, feeds the dog, takes the dog out, takes the dog to the vet. I'm, I'm the one the dog comes to when we're eating and it's time to mooch. The dog knows that she's more likely to get it from me than she is from my wife. But the rest of the time, it's all about mommy. And at night, if they're in room together and I walk in, she comes after me. Now, she doesn't like try to bite me, but she barks and I don't know whether it's she wants the attention or whether she's just protecting the alpha. But in this household, the alpha, as far as Macy is concerned, is my wife. PFTP and Posse, what are the legitimate ways to make up the difference for Kalen Barnes of the Jets for losing his roster spot slash practice squad, uh, practice squad spot? And what keeps teams from abusing those ways of circumventing the salary cap, funneling money through other companies they own via marketing deals or TB12? This one's fairly simple. Kalen Barnes is the guy who ultimately got the short straw after Aaron Rodgers moved to the 53-man roster. And Rodgers said himself on Tuesday that he didn't want to go to the 53-man roster. The Jets wanted him to keep practicing, and the Jets got benefit from it because he ran the scout team last Friday, spirited practice, helped get the defense ready for Sunday's game against the Commanders. So it was Nick Bodden, the fullback, who was bounced from the 53-man roster when Rodgers was elevated. Bodden passed through waivers, signed with the practice squad, and they have every intent of bringing him up for every game. So he's going to make all of his money. Kalen Barnes is the guy who got bumped off the practice squad. Now, he got paid for last week because it happened on Friday. So he's going to miss two game checks, two paychecks as a member of the practice squad. Well, I'm told they fully intend to sign him to the 90-man roster in the offseason. They can give him that money as a signing bonus. They can work it into his pay when he comes back to the team. So there are ways to make sure that he is made whole by this circumstance that resulted in him not being part of the team. So I don't think it's a violation of the rules. I think it's just a matter of making it right with a guy who got bounced off of the practice squad as part of this domino effect of Aaron Rodgers returning to the active roster. Curtis Schumann or Schumann, any clue when the Bills play next week, trying to make plans when will we know for sure? We'll know after week 17. We'll know on Monday. That's when they look at all the games. There's going to be two that move to Saturday. We know that now. ABC, ESPN, doubleheader on Saturday. They'll pick two of the games moving to Saturday. Then there'll be a cluster of games at one, cluster of games at 425, and then the Sunday night game to wrap the season. And they try, try is the key word, to have games that have overlapping playoff implications played at the same time. That doesn't always work, but they try to do that. So it all depends upon whether and to what extent that game in week 18 is going to mean anything. Is it going to be for the AFC East championship? 
if the Dolphins lose to the Ravens and the Bills win this weekend, it is for the AFC East Championship. Does that become a Saturday game? Does it become a Sunday night game? It's all to be determined. We'll know by, I believe, Monday, Tuesday at the absolute latest, but I think it's Monday. I think it's like Sunday night because there's no Monday night game. At some point on Sunday night, I think they'll announce the schedule for week 18 because by the Sunday night game between the Packers and the Vikings, they'll know all of the various tentacles and, and that's when it'll happen. Manuel Villa. It seems like there's an effort by the NFL to not flex games this season. Am I way off on that? I think what happened was, and I don't know this, but I think what happened was by expanding flexing from Sunday night, Thursday night, and Monday night, and in their desire to protect the national windows for CBS and Fox, where you get that 425 p.m. Eastern game that has a massive audience, somewhere between 24 and 25 million on average for either network. I think it just makes it harder to pick and choose which games are going to go. And there's different rules that apply. And at some point I knew the rules, but you know, at the end of the day, the NFL does what it wants to do when it comes to where the games are going to be. It's their call. And, and the thing you have to keep in mind with flexing, it's not about guaranteeing a great game in every primetime window. It's just about having break glass in event of emergency in the event you get a game that's going to be bad. It's not about making a good game better. It's about making a bad game good. And we've seen it one time this year because Chiefs Patriots, given how poorly the Patriots were playing, and that was still a surprise because you're giving up a Mahomes game. But the game that went in its place, Seahawks Eagles, more relevant for both teams, more competitive, exciting game. But I think we're going to see flexing sparingly, especially because it doesn't matter who's playing. We still watch. Ratings are the highest they've been since 2015. We still watch. You don't need to have stars all the time. It's nice to have the guys that will maybe bring in some extra. The Cowboys who always bring in some extra. $31.5 million for Dolphins hosting the Cowboys on Sunday. But I think we're going to see less of them. In their, in their zeal to expand the protection against a bad game, I think we're going to see fewer occasions of those games being swapped out. But when there is a truly bad game, a nightmare scenario, it's going to go. And remember, there are time limits that apply. A game that looks okay one week, by the time the game comes, it may be a disaster. Or a game that looks like it's going to be a disaster, by the time it comes, it's not that bad. There was a large chunk of the season where Packers and Vikings on New Year's Eve looked like a potential disaster for NBC. Both teams are still alive. And, you know, it's a border battle. And it's, you know, a classic rivalry. And It'll, it'll do a good number on Sunday night. No matter what game was going to be there, it's going to do a good number on Sunday night, as long as it's not a complete disaster game with a team that nobody cares about because they're completely eliminated and not playing for anything. All right, what else? Good question from Will Jackson. Do you think the Ravens will play their backups against the Steelers in Week 18 if they win this week, or do they play their starters to try to keep the Steelers out? I think there's another reason to play your starters. Remember four years ago when... The Ravens locked up the one seed with one week to play, and Mark Ingram tweaked a calf muscle in that game. They rested the starters the final week of the season, and they had the bye. So you don't play your starters final week of the season. They're off for the wild card weekend. It's three weeks between meaningful games. Your opponent in the divisional round is a team that probably has had to play hard all the way through the end of the regular season to get to the playoffs and then had to play a playoff game and win it. That team comes into your building in the divisional round 
And I compare it to like two boxers. One comes in with a good sweat. And the other one is ice cold, flat-footed. All it takes is one early uppercut. And uh-oh, we got a problem. And I think it adds to the pressure and the stress of the team that had the special season that resulted in the one seed. You can see it all evaporate in three hours. And 7 nothing becomes 14 nothing becomes 17 nothing becomes 24 to 3 and before you know it it's over so i think that the ravens should keep playing their starters look what the patriots always did no matter how great they were no matter what they had locked up they kept playing their starters it's a football game we're going to play football and if somebody gets injured it can happen anytime any place anywhere uh all right what else? Jason, no, let me try that again. Justin Pursuit. In your career covering the NFL, have you ever had a reaction from a player because of something you said about a player or team similar to what happened with Lamar Jackson? Well, who can forget? I think it was 2016. Aaron Rodgers was saying some things about the Packers, about not having energy on the sidelines, about not having accountability. Players had to be fearful they were going to lose their jobs. And my point was even though he wasn't saying it, it was pointing to coaching, that the deficiencies he was noticing and articulating, the things that he said were missing were the responsibility of the coaching staff. There's no energy on the sidelines. Who's responsible for ensuring there's appropriate energy on the sidelines? There's no fear that if you don't do your job, you're not going to have a job. Where does that come from? This is the team that had the you know, the, the coach who would yell, what the hell's going on out here? And grab, 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 grab. You, you want a coach that's going to instill that fear that if you don't do your job, you're not going to have a job. So I made that point and Aaron Rodgers didn't like it. And that led to the classic clip that I still want to have at my tombstone, solar powered, perpetual loop of Aaron Rodgers saying, don't waste your time reading crap like that in reference to me, specifically called me out at that time. And I think Bruce Arians called me out a couple of years ago when he finally retired from the Buccaneers and my argument was that he was kind of nudged away as part of the return of Tom Brady. They didn't really like that. So, um, you know, I, it happens, it happens. And it's, as I was telling somebody yesterday, I practiced law for 19 years, as I've mentioned a few times in the past, but I'm, I'm setting up my comment here. My worst day in this job is better than 99.9% .9 of my best days in the other job. I mean, I'm covering sports. I'm covering the NFL. I've loved the NFL for 50 years. I'd be spending time following it, too much time following it, even if I didn't have this job. So is it going to be fun and games every day? Are there going to be days where, you know, I've stepped into a problem and it comes back to haunt me? That's going to happen. I'll just deal with it because it's still a damn good job and I'm grateful to have it. I'm grateful for all of you because you helped me have it because if you didn't listen to what I was saying or writing, or paying attention to any of our opinions or whatever, it wouldn't matter. And it's the thing. The fact that what we said last week became such a big deal, it's one of the it's one of the costs of actually having a platform that people pay attention to. If you're irrelevant, you're not going to get that kind of blowback. Nobody's going to care. It's just a voice screaming into the void. Donald Koch, do you think Brian Dayball is the right coach for the Giants? I think that he needs more time. They need work on their offensive and defensive lines. He needs a little more time to get to where he's going to be. And I'm glad they turned it around just enough to presumably stem this trend of two years and out, dating back to Ben McAdoo, two years out. 
Pat Shermer, two years out. Joe Judge, two years out. For a while there, it looked like Dayball was going to get the same thing. I think they did enough to keep that from happening, and we'll see where it goes. Macy, my dog. Very well-trained and very good with the keyboard. Pops, what was your best Christmas present this year? Best present ever, and why was it me? Best moment of Christmas for you. Um, best gift this year. I've wanted a Ferrari for a while now, and I, I got a Ferrari. Unfortunately, it was a Lego Ferrari, but my nephew got me a Lego Ferrari, and that, that was a nice little treat. I'll have to put it together at some point when the season's over, but uh, I still want to get a real one one of these days. Best Christmas present ever. And I got set up by my parents, as kids often do, where you think you didn't get that thing you wanted, kind of like Ralphie with the Red Rider BB gun, where all the presents are open and you didn't get that thing you wanted. And oh, wait, there's some, they did the same thing. Oh, though, there's something over there. What's over there? I won electric football in 1975. 74 or 75 and didn't think I was getting it because all the presents were open. There was no sign of it. It was hidden somewhere. And once you see it, you know what it is. And that's what it was. And that was pretty good until I turned the damn thing on, right? All that time and effort, you get the players lined up, right? You turn it on, they start spinning around in circles. Also first home video game system, 79, I think I was 14, the Atari 2600 system, but I had the Sears version of it. See Sears bought it and put their own, they put their own logo on it. It was still the Atari system, but it was it was the Sears equivalent of the uh, the Atari system. That was pretty good too. All right, um, Manuel Villa. Any big player trades you can see happen this year? A player that is due a big contract that the current team doesn't want to or can't pay. Haven't really thought any of that through yet. I think Devontae Adams is probably going to be traded. We now have Russell Wilson in play for a potential trade. You may have some guys that demand trades who you think they're happy in their current teams until you find out they're not guys that want contracts, you know, with C.D. Lamb, who I think will be entering his fifth year, his option year coming up. He may get to the point where he's frustrated and wants more. That's part of the fun, though, of the offseason. You find out the guys who've kind of been holding it in, frustrated, upset, and they wait. And then all of a sudden, boom, this player that you thought was happy where he is, he wants to go somewhere else. We saw it with Tyree Kill and Devontae Adams a couple of years ago. We'll see what happens. There isn't anyone right now other than Adams that I'm looking at saying, wow. And I, maybe I'm just not thinking of it because I hadn't given it any prior thought. There may be some out there I'm not thinking of. Adams is name number one. And after that, we'll just see how it plays out in the offseason. John Prowell, what has Kenny Pickett shown so far to give the Steelers justification to have him as the starter for another year? I, I don't know. I don't know. There's nothing he does that you look at and say, wow. Not many guys in the world can do that. And the question is, would they be willing to admit their mistake after only two years? Maybe for Russell Wilson, if he's available. But this may be part of what they need to work out in an effort to fix the offense. And I think part of it, too, is when you hire a new offensive coordinator after the season, you want his input on personnel. You know, are you bringing a system? And, and I think this is part of the interview process. Are they going to want somebody who's going to get the most out of Kenny Pickett? Or are they going to hire somebody and say, all right, now that you're here, what are we going to do by way of an offense? And I think as a more practical matter, they'll be looking at the ideas that the coordinator candidate has for the offense before he's even hired. But there'll be an understanding. Are we sticking with the guy we have? Are we going in a different direction? That's all to be determined. James M., why hasn't Trevor Lawrence taken the step forward this year? Most people expect, well, he's been banged up a lot. The offensive line has not been good. 
And the defense hasn't been as good as it was last year. They can't run the ball. And it, it just it, it just hasn't happened. And the truly great quarterbacks transcend all of that, you would think. But this year's just been a disappointment overall for the Jaguars. At a time when it looked like they were going to be pretty good, they've really fallen down with four straight losses, and they might miss the playoffs. They're in that three-way tie in the AFC South, eight and seven with the Texans and the Colts. Tyler Hergert, when is the next round of NFL expansion coming? At one point this year, I said, we can't think about expansion because there aren't enough quarterbacks to go around. And then we see the games this year and the backups and the people are still watching and the games are still exciting and it's still very compelling. They're going to want to expand the inventory of games. They want more games they can move around to different countries. They want more games they can put in prime time. They just want more. Everybody wants more. And I think they want more teams at some point, even with the quarterback issues. I think expansion to 34 is on the table and then 36 and then 38 and ultimately 40, but not in my lifetime. I think in my lifetime, I hate to think of it in morbid terms like that, maybe 36 by the time I sign off for good. Who knows? Dr. J, 144, Woody Johnson said, Robert Saul and Joe Douglas are coming back. Is Hackett a lock to come back? His performance doesn't warrant it. How would that play in the locker room if they bring Hackett back just because Rodgers wants him? I... I think Hackett's coming back. I think Hackett's got the most job security of anybody in the NFL. He and Rodgers will work together and take care of the offense. Solid takes care of the defense and the Jets become next year what they were going to be this year if Rodgers stays healthy. That's the idea. But they need to make the offensive line better. Is Hackett suited to be a head coach? No. Did he do a good job this year once Rodgers was removed from the equation? No. But together with Rodgers, we've seen what he can do. However, and Rodgers has made that point. However, when Hackett was with Rodgers in Green Bay, Matt LaFleur was there too. There was a head coach who was overseeing the offense along with Nathaniel Hackett. It's all Hackett next year. So we'll see. But Hackett's got complete and total job security now that Aaron Rodgers is coming back. It would be a stunner, beyond a stunner, if they would dump Nathaniel Hackett because Rodgers is very loyal to him. And I can't see Rodgers blaming any of this on Hackett. Rodgers blames what happens this year on him not being there. You take him out of the mix, of course they're going to struggle and next year with Rodgers, they should be fine, but we'll see. Assassin 16, if quarterback safety is a priority, why not revise intentional grounding? Throw to the line of scrimmage regardless of where the quarterback is standing. No receiver needs to be in the area. Caveat could be no defensive holding of receivers on a play if it's grounded, pick up the flag, et cetera. Look, um, I think right now they don't enforce intentional grounding strictly to give the quarterbacks a fail safe to get rid of the ball and avoid a hit They're trying to keep the quarterbacks healthy. You could argue that intentional grounding should be allowed anytime, anyplace, anywhere. There aren't many more things you can do to make the game safer for quarterbacks. I've kind of joked in the past that you could use the roughing the punter and kicker rules for quarterbacks, which would revolutionize the game. But that's one way to make it safer for quarterbacks and letting them ground anywhere, anytime, anyplace, just throw it straight into the ground if they want to. That would allow them to avoid a situation where they're back to get sacked. But think of how often that would happen. If all you have to do is throw the ball into the ground. And I think you at least have to get it back to the line of scrimmage, whether you're in the pocket or not. But the idea of just spiking it just before you're hit and just before you go down, I, I don't think that that, I don't think that that's going to go over. See, that's the problem. 
as we keep making the game safer for quarterbacks, it makes it harder to get people who just love football for the sake of football and like good defense and want to see the defense rewarded for making good play. If you give the quarterback too easy of a way out, it just kind of takes away from that. All right, I should probably wrap this up. It's been a full hour. I'm scrolling to see if there's anything good here. There are some questions about Russell Wilson and Sean Payton, which we have answered. They were questions that predated the news that Russell Wilson is being benched. Amused to death has an interesting question. Is there any chance Howie Roseman and Jeff Lurie pulled a plug on Nick Sirianni and the coaching staff? I wouldn't rule out anything because there's a standard in Philadelphia that they expect to be met. And when Chip Kelly didn't meet it, he was out. When Doug Peterson didn't meet it, he was out, even though he'd won a Super Bowl. Sirianni got them to a Super Bowl. Right now, there's just kind of a weird thing. Sirianni admitted that his body language isn't ideal and the offense is dipped without Shane Steichen. The defense is dipped without Jonathan Gannon. I think next year becomes very interesting. If the Eagles don't make it at least to the NFC Championship, I think there's a lot more pressure next year on Nick Sirianni. Not hot seat, but inching in that direction. That Eagles team, and I think the fan base, I know from dealing with members of the fan base, they got that taste of a Super Bowl win, and they want more, and they want another one, and they want it now. And I don't know how much patience they're going to have with any head coach of a team that they think has been put together in a way that it should contend with the best teams in the NFL. All right. Chest uh, in pursuit. Is PFT Commander still my internet son and Barstool Big Cat still my internet nephew after the stunt they pulled on PMT? What they did, and I'm not mad at them. They're just having fun. It's their bit. It's their shtick. They called me after the Ravens beat the 49ers and they wanted comment on Lamar Jackson calling me Mike Florist. Now, I've confirmed that it's Flores. In the locker room, it was Flores. Regardless, what they did was, once I'd start answering, they hung up on me and then they'd call back and they'd say, first they said, Big Cat's phone died. And then they're talking to me again and while I'm answering questions, they hang up and that's fine. I don't care. It was 1 a.m. I was working. It's always fun to hear from those guys. And I know they mean it all in good fun. And uh, they're good friends. I'm not I'm not upset with them at all. All right. Um, anything more? I think that's it. That's it. All right. Full hour. Didn't expect to do it, but I did it anyway. Remember, we do PFTPM on Wednesdays throughout the season. That means through at least the conference championships in the week before the Super Bowl. Once I'm in Las Vegas for Super Bowl week, I don't know what we're going to do with PFTPM. We'll figure it out. We'll keep you posted. And then maybe in the offseason, we'll figure out what we're going to do next. I enjoy having this time where I can just talk to you directly. You seem to enjoy it too. At least some of you do. We appreciate the questions. We appreciate your time. We appreciate your interest in everything we do. And we'll see you on Thursday morning for PFT Live, followed by the Second to last joint Megapix podcast of the season where Sims and I are completely tied up in picking games straight up and completely tied up in our best bets with only two weeks left. So that should be interesting tomorrow. Again, thanks for some of your time. Have a great holiday week, and we'll see you real soon.